0: Hi, this is Greer, your host for Femammal, the podcast that holds space for women to explore what it means to live well in our bodies, and celebrates moving through this world as female mammals. Welcome to season two of Femammal. I hope you were able to connect with people you love over the holiday season, and that you found time to rest and relax. If you're not feeling your best right now, I hope you are being gentle with yourself. The holidays can be really fun, but they can also disrupt our routines around food, exercise, and rest that leave us feeling not at our best. If that's where you are at, please give yourself time and patience to get back to where you want to be with your energy level and self-image. If you are new to the podcast, What you need to know is that this is a platform to elevate the voices of women reflecting on the joys and challenges of living well embodied as female mammals. The show features an interview with a new guest each episode. We talk in detail about the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of our health experiences that are either unique to women's bodies or which are underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or inadequately treated when they are present in women's bodies. We use anatomical descriptions for our physical experiences, and we get honest about the toll that these experiences have taken on our mental health. So you may want to take that into account when you decide when and where to listen to new episodes. But we also always look for the joy, the personal growth, and the moments of celebration. We stay on the level of the personal, not the political, religious, or ideological, so that all storytellers and all listeners from all perspectives are welcome. We know that we each experience the rhythms and realities of womanhood in our own particular way, and it leads each of us to our own beliefs, practices, and attitudes. Every woman's experience is unique and worthy of attention, and it is a privilege to be able to listen as each guest shares her story. If you listened to season one and you are returning for more, I am so grateful that you are back. Season two is going to be a little bit different in a couple of ways. During season one, I dropped a new episode every week, whereas for season two, a new episode will be published every two weeks. I took a look at the download statistics for season one episodes, and a bi-weekly pace seems to track better with your listening patterns. And it's also more sustainable for me to produce. Every interview is so great that I don't want you to miss a single one because I'm publishing too fast. I'm also expanding content in season two by including topics that are specific to the experience of motherhood. When I started this podcast, it was really important to me to focus on experiences that could be relevant to any woman, regardless of her choices or opportunities around parenthood. All too often, women's health is treated as if it is important only in relation to childbearing or childrearing, and we lose sight of the fact that women are people who deserve to be healthy and happy for their own sake. I still believe that women's health is important in its own right. And I still want to highlight topics that are relevant to women, regardless of whether they will ever be pregnant or parent. But our theme for season two is breast health, and I don't want to exclude conversations about lactation. Certainly, there is more to breast health than lactation, but the power and possibility of breastfeeding is central to our species' identity as mammals. And it also comes with a lot of challenges, questions, and frustrations for a lot of women who are mothers. So for the first time, we have a couple of episodes that are particular to the experience of motherhood. Some listeners might be excited to hear those interviews, and others may not. There are lots of good reasons that some women feel conflicted or ambivalent about topics related to motherhood. Maybe you don't know yet whether you want to be a mother, or whether that is even possible for you. Maybe you are struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss, and topics related to motherhood trigger feelings of grief or anxiety. That's okay. These episodes are here for you when you want to listen, but you can skip them if you prefer. There will also be plenty of topics this season that are not specific to breastfeeding or motherhood, which I hope everyone will appreciate. So why are we spending an entire season on breast health? It can be such a universal experience for women, but it also gets strangely pigeonholed to specific phases of life. In my 20s, I had the impression that I didn't have to think about my breast health because I'm not a mother, so breastfeeding wasn't relevant to me. And annual mammograms to screen for breast cancer aren't recommended until women are at least 40. So none of my peers were really talking about breast health except in the context of breastfeeding. I was aware that women a generation ahead of me were marking their calendars for their annual mammogram. But I didn't really even have the sense that there was any need for me to be vigilant about breast health which was sort of a relief because there's kind of a hyper-awareness about breasts when women are teenagers that it was good to finally have grown out of. Developing breasts was probably the awkwardest part of puberty, at least for me. After all, no one can tell whether you've had your first period or not, but your progress in developing breasts is on display for everyone to see At the very same moment as you're becoming more aware of the hypersexualization of women in commercial media, the timing of breast development is different for everyone, but I associate it most strongly with the transition to middle school. My public school district ended elementary school at fifth grade, so sixth grade involved taking the bus to a new school across the county with a bunch of adult-sized high school students and enduring the horror of my first real gym class with teachers timing us with stopwatches as we tried to run a mile, and smelly locker rooms where they made us change into a gym uniform every day. I am pretty sure I was the only girl in my class who wasn't wearing bras yet, so everyone around me was pulling their yellow school t-shirts over anything from a training bra to a real sports bra to some little lacy bralette that was pretty useless for a workout while I strategized how I could position myself in the most isolated corner to change my shirt. By the end of the school year, I very much did need a bra, and the whole thing felt humiliating, because I felt like I must be weird for being the only little girl who was apparently flashing everybody when I changed for gym. Even outside of the locker room, I was constantly self-conscious about whether my breast's growth spurt was as noticeable to everyone else on a daily basis as it was to me. I don't know why, but it felt so embarrassing to simply be growing out of a little girl's body and into an adult woman's body. Even once puberty was in the rearview mirror, There was so much explicit commercial and social messaging about the importance of breast size, debates about modesty and cleavage, and so much mixed messaging that it was hard to escape that self-consciousness about my breasts. It felt like everyone around me was fixated on my breasts and had a judgment about my breasts that they wanted to impose on me. Authority figures at my school or my church wanted teenage girls never to show bra straps or cleavage, and prom dresses had to have straps. Swimming pools legislated what type of swimsuits we could or couldn't wear. Classmates compared cup size. Sitcoms and pop music and TV ads and the photos of models at Victoria's Secret in the mall sent the clear message that breasts should be large and adorned with lace at all times. And don't even get me started on the breastfeeding wars, because everyone seems to have a strong opinion about whether women should or must breastfeed and for how long and whether or not that can be done in public places. There was this feeling post-puberty that the most important thing about my body to everybody were my breasts and how they were covered and how they would or wouldn't be used. And it wasn't just in my head. I was starting to get catcalled and men were looking at my chest instead of my face when they were speaking to me. So it was with the conviction that my breasts had caused me nothing but annoyance in my life when, at the age of 30, I developed a lump the size of a golf ball in my right breast. At first, I didn't panic. I was vaguely aware that there are lots of innocuous explanations for breast lumps, and the most important thing is simply to get them checked out. So I called my nurse practitioner to try to get an appointment. The problem was the nurse practitioner had left that practice without notifying me, and the healthcare network hadn't automatically transferred me to a new primary care provider. Instead, they expected me to research primary care providers and to sit on a waiting list for a new patient appointment for three months, because no one would see me without a new patient appointment. And no one had time in their busy schedules for an hour-long new patient intake appointment. I didn't really want or need a new patient intake appointment. I just wanted to get a referral for a mammogram. Every couple of weeks, I would call the office and try to explain to the man in charge of scheduling appointments that it was important for my appointment to get moved up and why, but he just kept telling me there was nothing he could do about it. The longer I had to wait, the more anxious I got. Because everyone knows that early detection and treatment is crucial for breast cancer survival outcomes. I didn't want to anticipate the worst, but as a single 30 year old, I started spiraling about what the future held for me. Would the lump be malignant? It was huge. Would I have to have a lumpectomy or even a mastectomy? Would I ever find a partner who valued me and my health for my own sake and wouldn't blink or shrink away if that was part of my body story? By the time I finally got to see my new doctor, I didn't even need to take my shirt off for her to see that there was an urgent problem. She called Norton Women and Children's Hospital and got me a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound appointment for the next morning at 7 a.m., I was the first person in my peer group to get a mammogram, as far as I knew, so I had no idea what to expect, except that the baby boomers around me mostly didn't talk about mammograms except to say how terribly uncomfortable they are. So for all of the millennial and Gen Z women who are listening, let me share. The first thing I wish someone had told me was not to wear deodorant the day of a mammogram. Out of a sense of politeness, I had actually applied extra deodorant that morning, And then I panicked when the medical assistant told me that if I was wearing deodorant, I would have to clean it off because the heavy metals in most deodorants can affect the imaging process. Then there is this complicated one-size-fits-all shirt-length gown with four long ribbons on it that somehow you're supposed to put on after you take off your shirt and bra and it's supposed to both keep you modest and provide easy access to your breasts. I have now gone through four different diagnostic mammograms for suspicious lumps since I was 30, and I still have never once figured out how to tie this ridiculous wraparound shirt gown. Possibly I am just much skinnier than their one-size-fits-all design ever anticipated, or possibly you need an advanced degree in garment design to figure this out. The one redeeming factor is that these shirt gowns are kept in warming drawers, so they feel super cozy when you put them on. I really hope that this is universally true and not just true of my hospital system locally, because when they handed me that warm gown, it felt like the first time in my entire experience of healthcare that the comfort and well-being of female patients was being prioritized. That was great. So, after going in and out of changing rooms and waiting rooms, you finally go into the room with a mammogram machine. And it is actually not that bad. It's a big apparatus that has two vice like panels that can rotate more than 90 degrees to be able to sandwich your breast from any angle. There are various handles that you're supposed to hold on to to keep everything in the right position while they take the pictures. And you have to hold your breath while they're taking the pictures so that you're absolutely still. Since I'm so skinny and have such dense breast tissue, they always fuss a lot and have to manhandle my breasts and tug and pull and reposition and try again until they get the image they want. Unfortunately, this has frequently been accompanied by negative commentary about how hard my breasts are to work with. I love it when I get an ultrasound technician who is built like I am, skinny with dense breasts. Because then there is no negative commentary and they are nothing but sympathetic throughout the whole uncomfortable process. Honestly, the whole thing is sort of like getting your bite wing x-rays done on your teeth at the dentist's office, only more uncomfortable. And I'm not denying that it's painful and unpleasant, but on the scale of pain in my life, it's just not that remarkable compared to, for example, the degree of cramping I experience on the first couple days of my period. By the time they were done with all the tugging and clamping my right nipple had oozed out a bunch of gunk that they saved on a tissue to show the doctor. My next stop was an exam room where they did an ultrasound on my breast. I felt like this was adding insult to injury because in my book ultrasounds are for pregnant women and I wasn't even sexually active. Now I know that ultrasound is actually a great diagnostic tool for a lot of different tissues but that was just me getting all up in my feelings because so far my breasts and reproductive system seemed to just create pain and new causes for alarm. As soon as my ginormous lump came into view in the vivid black and white of the monitor screen, there were impressed gasps at the dimensions of it and general agreement that it was the largest lump any of these medical technicians had ever seen in their careers at Norton Women's and Children's Hospital. Then they went away to get the doctor to show her the pictures, and they gave me warm blankets to curl up under. I could sure get used to being treated this way in healthcare settings. When the doctor came in, she was pretty confident that it was a harmless cyst full of fluid that needed to be drained. She numbed my breast, turned on the ultrasound machine again, and used it to guide her as she stuck a big needle in my breast and sucked until the walls of the cyst had completely collapsed and all the fluid was now in a vial on the countertop. She also went back in and inserted a tiny piece of metal into my breast to mark where the lump had been so that they can continue to monitor that area during future mammograms. She reassured me that it wouldn't set the scanners off going through airport security. They sent the fluid away for analysis, and in a couple of days, the results came back clean. They also gave me a miniature ice pack that would fit inside the cup of my bra to help with the bruising or swelling that was another little patient-centered perk that I really appreciated at the time. I had never heard of breast cysts before that experience, but apparently they are pretty common. I've had a lot more since then. Sometimes they are painful and irritate me for months, and other times they don't particularly bother me, and they seem to go away on their own. They have all been a lot smaller since that first one. And since women's breasts change a lot throughout our menstrual cycles, I try to pay attention over the course of a month to any lumps that persist beyond the luteal phase of my cycle, because that is the lumpiest part of my cycle. The development of breast cysts is a phenomenon that isn't well understood, and there hasn't been enough research on it yet. There's limited evidence that taking B vitamins, vitamin E, and quitting coffee and chocolate can reduce recurrence of cysts. But I've tried all those interventions, and it hasn't made any difference for me, unfortunately. Every 18 months or so, one of my lumps is persistent enough or worrying enough that my primary care provider refers me for another diagnostic mammogram. I dislike it not because it's uncomfortable. Again, it's just not that big of a deal compared to my chronic pelvic pain or my vulvodynia or my vaginissimus. But because it's expensive, If I was 40 and getting an annual mammogram to routinely screen for cancer, it would be free. But since I'm underage and experiencing lumps that have to get diagnosed, I have these diagnostic mammograms, my health insurance makes me pay for it to the tune of $1,500 a pop and more depending on if they have to biopsy anything. The biopsies are a little similar to the process I went through to get the cyst's fluid sucked out, except the needle is bigger and it makes a popping sound as it scoops out a chunk of tissue to be sent away for analysis. I've been through this process so many times that I don't even get anxious about it anymore. And my lumps aren't always simple cysts, but so far they have always been benign tissue. Hopefully it will never turn out to be anything malignant. I don't have any elevated risk factors for breast cancer. But I also know that if I ever do get bad news like that, I'm in good hands, in a place with an endless pile of warm blankets to wrap around the shoulders of women in need of healing. Women's breasts are mysterious in a way. They can offer so much life, providing the first nutrition for our young, But they also deal out death, with over 40,000 women dying of breast cancer in the United States annually. They are aesthetic wonders, but too often they are used to undermine women's confidence and self-image. They have become central to our image of womanhood, even out of proportion to their functional use. There is so much about our breasts that scientists still do not know or understand. So I'm looking forward to listening to other women's breast health stories and learning from them. Together, we are going to further unpack the mystery of what it is to move through this world as female mammals, and we're going to break down some of the taboos around talking about breast health. If you have a story about breast health you want to share, please reach out to me so that I can include your story later in the season. You can reach me by sending an email to femammalpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-A-M-M-A-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And if you're excited about this season's theme, please share this podcast with your friends, your aunts, your sisters, with anyone who needs to hear it. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at femalpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-A-M-M-A-L-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can also follow this podcast on Facebook. Just search for Femal Podcast and you will find a community of people who are interested in living well in our bodies. And of course, I'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review wherever you download your podcasts. Until next time, be well.